Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, welcome into the Determined Truth Podcast. We have a special episode as we've been having throughout the fall uh, season, we've been having some great interviews with people who are engaged in a wide variety of types of ministries and have made an impact in the kingdom of God. And so we have one of those today. Rob, introduce your special friend. <laughs> special friend. Yeah, thank you very <laughs> well, much. There, there's a bond that I don't want to acknowledge. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. not yeah, my yeah. special friend. So. Tony is a wonderful uh, pastor and leader that I got to know during my time in Bakersfield, California. Tony uh, Kim is the lead pastor of Renaissance International. He's the founder of the Roar Collective, a network of leaders across uh, um, different areas of, of life. That's an interesting conversation we had. He's also the founder of the Roar Academy, which is in 10 nations, the executive director of Harvest International, which has over 25,000 churches in over 70 nations. And he's a board member on Revive California. And we brought Tony in today to talk about the church international, the church around the world, especially uh, as much as we can, we have a lot of information on Afghanistan, but we'll talk about that there. So, Tony, I want to welcome you. Thank you for for coming. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Vinny, it's great to uh, great to be on your broadcast here this morning. Yeah. So, start off, Tony, a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about your work and your family and what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm first and foremost a family guy, so I'll start there. Excellent. Uh, my wife and I, we've been married, uh, Jessica, we've been married for 22 years, coming up on 23. Awesome. Uh, we have three amazing children, um, no bias statement there at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but my eldest, uh, Eliana, she is uh, a professional ballerina, uh, has a couple businesses. She is uh, one of my administrators for Roar Academy. Uh, she's our children's director. She's got a very wide capacity and she goes to a university in the UK. Um, and so she's, you know, quite, quite amazing young gal and just serving the Lord through her dance really. Um, and then my son who's 17, uh, he's our joy. Um, you know, he's, he's all boy video games and just, uh, and all, and just uh, loves the Lord as well. And, and then my youngest being 15, she is, uh, she's serving the Lord through her animation right now, even at a young age, she's, uh, you know, uh, picked up the arts, you know, it was birthed out of COVID mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, signed a couple contracts with the production companies and just really excelled, you know, in a very short amount of time. And so we're really proud of them. And I really believe that ministry, the health of ministry, serving the Lord begins in the home, begins with family. Mm-hmm. And then from there, my wife and I, we planted together Renaissance International, the church we're planning, right, uh, leading right now. It's been going on for 12 years now. And we just have a heart for the church uh, worldwide, I uh, want to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to see people come into the family of God. Uh, we, we really want to see the love of Jesus just shared with everyone around us. And so that's really our heartbeat. Hmm. So we brought you on today, especially to talk about the work that you do internationally and to kind of give our listeners, especially those in the United States-based listeners, an understanding of the church overseas and the global church and the fact that, you know, you and I have talked that we're one body in Christ globally. Yes. Uh, so can you speak a little bit about your work overseas? I know some of the things you can't actually talk about because of the safety of the people involved, uh, but can you give us some insights into what's happening overseas and your work there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my deep passions and just conviction, and I feel calling is to work with the churches in the closed nations. 
And, and so I do quite a bit of work in a number of different nations that we would consider or label as the underground church. And, um, you know, Afghanistan, you know, in terms of what's happening there is very public worldwide, uh, other nations as well. But within, within the context globally right now, I just want to first and foremost bring some encouragement and hope to the listeners. Um, the one that you're, you know, to the one that's listening right now, I just want to encourage your heart and say, God is moving and the kingdom of God is continuing to advance moment by moment that the kingdom of God never ceases to advance. We know from Isaiah nine and it's, it's true. And as, as the churches we're, we're hearing about are being persecuted, there is greater oppression, persecution. I have friends of mine who've been martyred even over the last several weeks. Um, there is a great, great move of God. You know, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world as we speak. The second fastest growing church in the world is Afghanistan. Um, and so uh, amidst the challenging reports that we're getting, the, you know, just the pain of loss, friendships, relationships, um, the church being persecuted there. You know, isn't it interesting that it's always in the persecuted areas uh, where there's oppression and suppression and violence where God just chooses to break out through the local church. And when I say church, I'm speaking about the expression of the ecclesia more than the model of the American church that we're so accustomed to. And, and so I hope that brings hope. I want to encourage all of us to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the nations. Um, I get messages saying, you know what, we, we feel your prayers. You know, there's there's miraculous boldness that we're stepping into that we did not feel even just yesterday. So we know that there's people praying for us because we stepped into something in God that that's beyond our own capacity, beyond our own boldness and strength. And and so they are feeling our prayers that when we lift them up before the Lord and as we're joining, um, really join in hand in hand with them, even from uh, afar. And so there's some beautiful things taking place. Hey, Tony, as you uh, are talking about this, like there's just so many, like literally my synapses are just firing right now. Like, oh my gosh, there's so many interesting things to talk about, stories to hear. And I, I think you're already, you're bringing a perspective that so many people just don't have access to that mm-hmm. it's like, oh, tell me more. I want to know about this. Uh, one of the first things I just want to ask you about, is, especially as an American living in an American church, we have zero concept of persecution or uh being marginalized for our faith or anything like that. You just defining a couple words and help maybe painting a picture of phrase, like what is a closed nation? What actually is an underground church? Cause I think we might have caricatures of what these things are, but these are actually real things that exist in the world right now. And, and you have the touch points with these <laughs> communities all around the world. Can you just like describe in general, what are these types of things? What do those terms mean to you? Sure. So the um, closed nation, what I mean by that is it's where Christianity would be illegal. The faith of Christianity as a believer is illegal in that nation. Uh, Give us us a few examples. Like what are a few of those nations that that would directly apply to? So, for example, Iran would be one of them. Um, The Middle East is really what's highlighted right now in terms of what's happening in terms of the persecution right now. But obviously, Afghanistan, there's other nations where it, um, I would even say China, although it's not illegal in that sense, but there's quite a bit of oppression there. We could, you know, go uh, Libya, we could go nation after nation in terms of some uh, where 
the faith of Christianity would be illegal in that sense. Now, the underground church, uh, you'd have to contextualize that based upon the nation, because, you know, one of my first, um, you know, experiences with the underground church, quote unquote, underground church, you know, maybe decade and a half, couple decades ago, when I walked in, you know, when I came to this place was, it doesn't feel underground. Hmm. It wasn't literally underground in that sense. When the first generation of persecution happened within that nation, the second generation's expression of the underground church was a little different. Um, And so these are churches that would be, uh, some nations would consider them unregistered, although it's legal to have faith, but it's illegal if you're unregistered as a church body recognized within the nation. And so that would be considered underground church. And then at the same time, again, depending on the context, even uh, within the province of the nation, uh, there are times when I would be four stories down underground with metal gates locked, uh, going down flights of stairs to have meetings with uh, leaders and so forth in those nations. So I hope that gives a little bit of glimpse as to what that looks like. Yeah. So, and I'm even thinking, like you had mentioned China. I have a coworker who served in China for the better part of 15 years as a missionary. Mm-hmm. And so it, like he opened my eyes even recently to some of these things where there's the state church and the underground church. So you, you would even like hinted at that, how technically Christianity can be illegal, but it really has to do with, are you registered with a state sanctioned church in which, at least the way he communicated it with China, which is... The, the government is the one approving sermons. They're seeing, uh, you know, reports of uh, financials that are coming in and, and they really, they know exactly and they're approving of what's happening. And that's different than the underground church, the ones who are not uh, having to register in that sense. And, and they're not submersing themselves to the government. That's absolutely correct. So in China, they have what's called the three self church. Mm-hmm. And, and so those are the churches that are registered and they have to adhere to every item on the list based upon, you know, mandates from the government. Um, and so, again, those are called three self-church. And then you have the, they don't even call them underground church. They call them family churches. And so the family church um, would be considered what, who we would call the underground church. And, you know, as you can imagine, even within the context between the three self and the underground, there's a lot of tension between the two because of the family church or the underground church feeling like the three self church sold out, Mm -hmm. you know, to the government. And while the three self church is saying we need to obey the laws of the land, um, you know, using Romans 13, Mm -hmm. right, and interpreting it their own way and understanding uh, and application. And so, so it, the, the dynamics is really interesting, but then when there's persecution, the reality is both above ground church and underground church, they're all persecuted. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, and this is one of the beautiful things that come out of persecution that I've seen personally in my limited experience um, in that world is dividing walls fall, denominational walls fall, Mm. Uh, and by the way, in a lot of these nations, there are no denominations. Mm. You know, uh, denominations will go in, but the denominational lines are really, you know, there's no real line there because if you're not in unity, you're talking about life or death. Where here we could lose a relationship, there you lose a life, mm. right? And so the context of life is so different. And, and really the beauty of it is, 
it's one church, but at the same time, because they're people, right? There's still that same conflict that we experience here in the Western church. And, and so it's this interesting mix and dynamic and synergy that takes place in the middle of all this. And I'll give you one example. You asked me, uh, Vinny, to give an example of one story. You know, one of my friends who's just a tremendous leader, you know, and, you know, when you go to these places, it's amazing at the level of leadership and how young these leaders are. Uh, I was in one meeting and there was, you know, it was a leader, it was a leader's gathering. There was about a hundred people. And one guy was sharing a story and he said, well, I'm the youngest and I have the smallest church, you know, within this circle. And I said, well, when you say smallest church, how big is your church? And he said, well, my church is 50,000, you know, so it's a completely different context and paradigm. And while the average church in America is perhaps, you know, 65 to 80, right? And so, you know, one of the leaders that I connected with, young guy, he was 30 years old, leading tens of thousands. We could say easily um, he was leading over 100,000 believers. And these are movements and expressions of the church rather than the traditional church mindset of going to church on a given Sunday Mm -hmm. and so forth, because they can't do that. But, you know, he was caught. And he was hung on a rope mm-hmm. in a pit in the air for three days with no water and no food, you know, and because he was preaching the gospel. And, you know, I asked him, I said, how, how do you live like this? You know, we're, I said, in America, we're so spoiled. You know, um, another word I guess we could use is we're really blessed, you know, um, you know, beyond spoiled because we word. are, you know, and I'll be honest, out of all the nations I've been to, I haven't been to all of them, but I've been to close to 40 nations. We are so blessed to be in America, mm. you know, to live in a nation. We have our challenges, but still yet it's nothing in comparison. And, and he, and I said, how do you live like this? And his question to me was, how do you live the way you do? Mm. You guys have all the freedom. You guys have all the resources you know, you have food every day. Your poor is rich in our nation. And, and he said, but yet the church in America is dead. Mm. He said, I would rather see the power of God move. us seeing thousands of people coming to Christ daily than live in a land full of prosperity and freedom and be completely apathetic spiritually. And boy, can I tell you that brought a conviction in my heart. Uh, I'll never forget that conversation to this day. And that's part of the context of the church outside of the Western world that are being persecuted. I think we can stop right there. That's pretty good. Wrap it up and uh, chew on that one for a little while, listeners. And, uh, All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, get back to me next week when you have uh, finished with that. So uh, Tony, tell us a little bit about some of the work that you do. Now, when you go to some of these countries to, to work in ministry, obviously you can't necessarily go in as a, pastor and evangelist or leader of nonprofit Christian-based ministry. So how do you go in and, and then what do you do when you're there? You know, I have a number of different facets to me. You know, ministry is one facet to who I am. I've also been in business. I had, I led consulting firms. Um, I began NGOs and nonprofits. And so um, in, in my background, I have quite a bit of diversity, even working with entertainers in the uh, entertainment industry and so forth. So I'm connected with key business people and key business leaders that I actually do consulting with. 
um, in number the number of nations. Um, and so I would be considered a tent maker, uh, not only by name, but by by a profession as well. I've I've consulted government, I've consulted nonprofits, NGOs, uh, corporations, you know, doing leadership development, executive coaching, board development, project management, and so forth. So I go in doing these things with these businesses. Um, and that's how, and that's my service. And by the way, these nations that we speak about, you know, even the persecuted nation, the people are so beautiful. Mm. The nation is beautiful. And one thing that we need to um, remember is, you know, God loves Ishmael also, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he so blessed him also, right? he blessed him. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, and he declared protection over him. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, going in with that heart of compassion and understanding of capturing God's heartbeat for the ones who are persecuted, the, the souls of the world, mm. and that, that they're, they're just one prayer away from knowing Jesus. Mm. They're one encounter away from knowing Jesus. And I go in with that perspective and, uh, and it's, it's humbling. It's beautiful. Uh, it's scary. Mm-hmm you know, at the same time. And, and for me, I know this is what I'm born for. This is why God put me on the earth. And it becomes very real for my family as well, because they know, and we have conversations. I have life insurance on me for that purpose. Mm. And my kids, ever since they were young, we've talked about it. Mm. You know, if daddy's ever to be martyred in some of these nations, don't ever become angry with God. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have these life conversations and we still do. They pray me off before I leave, hmm. you know, and, and we have some practicalities as well. You know, I talked to some of my influential friends uh, in Washington, D.C. And I say, I'm leaving for this country this day. I'm coming back this day. And if I'm not back, you just know what happened. Hmm. And so uh, we have some practical plans in place. And, and so this is just a little part of my personal world, you know, um, and just serving Jesus. Vinny and I have the same kind of conversations with our family when we leave on Sunday mornings to go to church. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we might not come back. I'm not sure that you know the people in the third pew just yeah. It might, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to go today. Well, no, it's yeah. interesting though because that that you know uh, Rob and I have talked about this, but over the summertime at at my church, uh, like I, I taught a class on political theology in a sense, mm-hmm. and that was one of the points to to bring up just as we pray in the morning, you know, to start class off to remind the class. Praise God that we're in a room right now and there's literally zero thought or fear that police are going to break in at any moment and haul us away because of what we're doing right now. And in a sense, like part of it is challenging how we think about the government, how we talk about the government and those sorts of things. I had zero fear that, you know, you fear more of the the deranged lunatic that's going to shoot up the place because that's what we do in America now. Like that's that's a legit fear. The government breaking us up, that's not a fear. I'm not going to get thrown in jail for that today. Uh, it's, it's, we just right. have no concept of there, that anxiety doesn't not exist. I have a, a, a higher risk of just getting hit by a car on the drive in. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a bigger fear. Right. That's right. Yeah. Tony, I remember when I was in uh, Palestine one time, and, and you have these conceptions that the media and that the popular culture around us gives of what the people are like. And, and I was walking in Bethlehem one time, and I thought, Oh boy, I am. You know, am, are they gonna throw me in a back room in the hallway and and, and steal my wallet and, and everything else? And and as I start to walk, I'm like, no, no one even seems to care a whole lot that I'm here. And if I go in their shop, they're happy to see me. And these guys are sitting around having some pizza around you know, around the table. And 
And I began realizing I'm safer here than I am in you know, New York City, San Francisco, any most of, of America. And it just began to change my perspective. Then you go into people's homes, you know, and you sit with them and you're like, yeah, you know, they love their kids just like we do. And That's right. they want their kids to go to school and have freedoms. And whether you're in Israel or in Palestine, they both actually want to kind of get along. The whole idea that these two peoples can't live together, is, it's just nonsense. And so I think I like, I like what you had to say about remembering that the people are just beautiful people and they're one prayer away from, from knowing Jesus. So uh, excellent. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the challenges, you know, and uh, I don't want to disparage or cast dispersion at all, you know, at the uh, Western church, but we really don't have an understanding of, you know, through what I would say the epinosis, right? The experiential knowledge of, you know, suffering, mm-hmm. you know, the, the theology of suffering, you know, and in America, I'll just say, is almost null and void. And whoever talks about it, you know, is, is really taboo. Right. And, you know, in terms of that. And so um, this element of, you know, this theology of suffering and what it means to follow Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, and I believe this is one of the things that's been awakened during the last 18 months, even in America, with everything that we've gone through through the pandemic and everything is this reawakening of the church back to what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a true follower of Christ? And just bringing us back down to that foundation as disciples of Jesus, which is, it, you know, Christianity 101 doesn't begin with how well we live. It begins with how well we die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the genesis of our intimacy and our relationship with Jesus. And that really crosses over into these other nations. Now, when they say yes to Jesus... It's not just, I'm going to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. When they say yes to Jesus, it's literally, I'm excommunicated from my family and my family are headhunting me now with the rest of the state. And that's the condition that they accept Jesus, you know, as far as the gospel goes. Yeah. I had a a man that I was witnessing to in, in Livermore, California, and he comes from Iran, Muslim family, Muslim background. And, and, he wanted to know why his friend told him he shouldn't take communion on a Sunday morning because he came to a Christian church. So I said, hey, let's let's get together and talk about this. And so we sat down, we just did a Bible study. They said, let's just open the Bible, start looking at it. We would go through the Gospel of Matthew uh, every once a week or once every couple of weeks, and we'd just be going through it. And finally, I said, you know, I think you believe this stuff. What's keeping you from getting baptized? Oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's like, right. Well, okay, you know, I understand, whatever. And I think you should get baptized. Well, he called me up a week later. He says, Rob, I want to get baptized. Can I do it this Sunday? I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, well, let's get together and talk. And so we sat down and talked. And he says, I had a dream. And in my dream, I had a dream about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I realized I need to follow him regardless. But what I came to find out was the reason why he was so, I can't get baptized was because what it would have meant to all of his family members, even his wife and kids here in California, right. California but to the family in Iran, they would have excommunicated him. He would have mm-hmm. lost him. And so when I baptized him and his wife and kids who didn't follow Jesus yet, were there. It was like, what a glorious testimony it was. And it was an incredible thing. So tell us some things like that about the church, the global church, that we need to have a better understanding of in terms of who they are and what's what's happening in their lives. You know, it's, you know, people, when I share my story and just share some of my experiences, it's interesting. People say, Tony, that's amazing. No, what's amazing are the believers and our brothers and sisters who live there. Mm. They're the ones that are amazing. I go there, get to serve you know, just as, as much as I can. And then I get to come back home. Mm-hmm. 
but they live there day in and day out. Right. You know, and, and so for me, it's, you know, that's why I'm, I keep my stories really general because, mm-hmm. because it's not about my protection. Right. You know, if they, if they could throw me in jail a couple of days, slap me around a couple of times, they're going to release me yeah, as an American, American citizen. Yeah. I'm, exactly. As an American, yeah. American citizen, they're going to release me, but then they're going to go get the ones who brought me in. Yeah. They're going to go get the ones that I'm connected with. And, and so the relational dynamic there is, you know, I think we just need a better understanding of that. But, you know, these ones are, when we talk about <laughs> the church in America, they, you know, they always say, Tony, we have so much to learn from you. We have so much to learn from you. And I'm telling them, you know, I'm literally, I would kneel before them and say, you know what, would you pray for me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I'm here to learn from you. Right. You're living the church from the book of Acts. Yeah. You know, in every sense of it. And when I say that, right. And, uh, and, and so I'm saying, you think you have something to learn from me? No, you're living this day in and day out and you have something to impart to us and give to us. And so what I've done is I've invited them to come into our nation mm. to train leaders. And it's, it's a profound just uh, exchange of life. Mm. They come and they get to experience us and they get to experience, you know, when they come to California, experience California, right? Experience the U.S., which they've never done. And, and so it becomes this, it's not just a flash in the pan missions work where we're going in for a moment and coming out with a story. These ones are looking for really ones that they can build the kingdom with long-term. Hmm. They're looking for what, our culture would consider perhaps scary in terms of this terminology, but they're looking for covenant relationships, you know, that they could say, you know what, we are arm in arm. It's the Proverbs 17, 17, you know, friends are friends at all times, but brothers are made for adversity. They're looking for the brothers that could walk with them, not for a moment, not for a season, but for a lifetime. Hmm. And they're begging and hungering after these relationships. I'm I'm curious as you're, just talking about this, especially as you, as you were talking about the theology of suffering, there's a couple things in the last year, especially that I've just seen more and more, you know, in our context in the American church, which is mm-hmm. the first one is Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, but he, he merely doesn't teach that you should do it. Like he actually does it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that concept is something that doesn't necessarily truly resonate with American Christians <laughs> where it, mm-hmm. like, it's one of those things like, yeah, he says to do this. It's like, no, he actually does this. And and I don't think we get that yet, that that's literally what he's telling us to do. Along with that is, and I was having this dialogue with someone yesterday in uh, in, in Luke 14, Jesus teaches that, hey, like if, if anyone, like if they want to follow me, they have to like bear their cross. Uh, they have to deny their parents, like hate your family, which obviously sure. there's, there's an element of hyperbole in there. Sure. But, but how much there, there, there's Jesus things, there's Paul things, there's Bible things that we love to latch onto it in America. And kind of that, those are the things that form us. How, like, can we even grasp the concept of what it means to bear your cross and follow Jesus? Like, what might that even look like in the American context? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, one of the things my wife always challenges me with when I come back, and I'm, you know, just full disclosure, when I come back from some of these nations, I get so frustrated mm. with the church, with the church that I lead, the church in America, the Western church. And, and so I have to literally decompress for 48 hours mm. mm-hmm. to, to 
contextualize my heart and realign my heart as to where I am. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's within our own context in America, because suffering is defined differently, Mm -hmm. right? We could say these people suffer, we don't, but there is suffering in America. There is suffering in our nation, the Western world. It may not be the same expression, but, you know, I think when it, when it comes to following Jesus, or I just say as followers of Jesus um, in our nation, you know, we, we want all the blessing. We want the stuff. We want, you know, uh, we go to church every Sunday, but I think there's a redefining of what the church is in this hour. I think we're going from traditional church expression to what what does it really mean to be the ecclesia, mm-hmm. right? The ecclesia mentioned twice, one in Matthew 16, um, where Jesus, I will build my church, where I will oikodomeo my ecclesia, right? The ecclesia being two Greek words put together, ek kaleo, called out ones. And the ecclesia was a governmental terminology, not a religious terminology, borrowed from ancient Greece. Right, who are the ones who legislated on behalf of the people, and and so I think for us, let me just personalize it. For me, it means literally to lay down everything for Jesus. What does that mean? You know, I'm looking for the cross-shaped life mm-hmm. in my in, in my life in my family. You know, what happened to the cross-shaped expression of life? Right. Everyone wants to power position. You know, they want to see this, that. But, you know, the, everyone quotes First Corinthians chapter two. You know, it's and Paul didn't come with persuasive words, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and all these things. But really, the whole context of that is living a crucified life. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would just say, what does a crucified life look like is don't compromise beyond your conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, I would say for us, no compromise would be number one, you know, be holy as I am holy. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. I believe that God makes us holy through what he did in Christ's life, but we remain and maintain the purity, you know, by our choices we make. And, and so I think really just drawing a line in the sand, what does that look like for me personally? If I was to say, this is what all of us should do, then I would be putting a religious uh, work-based, performance-based, um, you know, faith on people. But I would say, what's your conviction tell you? You know, what, you know, and do you cross that line of what you sense the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, stay within these parameters? Well, so even there, I'm thinking like, you know, you come home from a trip, you, you're literally pastoring a church in Bakersfield right Correct. now. You have these conversations with your congregants where they're, you're the surrogate for them to the world. And they're saying, Correct. Hey, pastor Tony, tell me about this. Like, and, and there's, they, they want to take this serious, but then, and I appreciate you kind of parsing this out, talking about, you know, not compromising and those sorts of things. So how, how do you legitimately do that in a society where there isn't really a lot of stuff or like, how do I say it again? Where's the dividing line between legitimate, like contextual, you know, no compromise and, and whatnot in a society where we just have so much freedom and then be, you know, falling into martyr complex. Cause I think that like, that's maybe, you know, it's kind of like when you see the, uh, the kid who grew up in the church and they didn't really have their own testimony. And so they like, they go out and create their own in high school, <laughs> you know, or they feel bad. Like I'm not a real Christian. I didn't have a real conversion. Right. Experience, right? And it's like, no, well, praise God. This is like, 
like, why would you want to fall into that? Like God just protected you through that in your life. I, I feel like we, we sometimes do that in the West where we, we like want to become martyrs to make, uh, make it feel as though we are legitimate in this regard. Right. I'll give you one story. It's, you know, we had, you know, just wonderful, passionate, zealous uh, young lady in our church. And she, she was in the education field. And she came back one day and she said, I got fired from my job. I was persecuted for my faith. And, and I said, okay, sit down, calm down. What happened? And she said, well, my boss told me that I can't proselytize. And she said, I'm not proselytizing. I'm sharing the gospel. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, okay. I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I told her I will never compromise my faith. And you know what? You can never shut me up. And I'm going to talk to everyone about mm-hmm. Jesus that I possibly could. And she said, well, I was witnessing to a young uh, student and I got fired. And I said, you know, you know, and again, I use relational equity as far as what I could say to people. Right. Mm -hmm. So based upon my relationship, which I just said, you know, that really wasn't the spirit of God moving on you. That was a spirit of stupid. (laughs) <laughs> and and so that was not uh that was not it really hurt me when he said that to me too by the way you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just kidding yeah but i i counseled you and walked you back into love. yeah uh, yeah I, I, I got over it yeah <laughs> that's right yeah. uh and and so we do do that we have that martyrdom complex yeah. and a lot of we can't blame our poor choices and call it persecution mm-hmm. right and and have that martyrdom complex but i really do believe that when we hold to the convictions of the scripture and the text in right application in community, you know, we've all lost friends because Mm -hmm. of faith. We've all lost friends because of choices that we've made, you know, based upon the conviction of God and the word of God in our life. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think when it comes to that, again, for me, it's be a man, woman of the word, and just be led by the spirit and a big sign, a tall tale sign of that is hold to your convictions. Yeah. I would maybe just add to that too, Tony, the clarification there, because I can see some people taking this and going way off the left field away off the right field that that looks like the humble cross bearing love that you were talking about earlier. It doesn't look like this radical boastful, political agenda or whatever it's it's a gospel agenda of cross-bearing love for the sake of the other and humility and so i know suffering in america is not well they took the 10 commandments out of our schools like that doesn't count you know so uh, right no actually let let me let me piggyback and and maybe add to ask another question so the the christian living in china or iran or or wherever Mm -hmm. they're going to have the target on their back just because of what they believe Right. And, and who they choose to associate with. Um, how do those Christians live? Like knowing that that like right off the bat, just the fact that they wake up and they own a Bible, like that puts them on the, you know, the no fly list, if you want to call it that. How do they live uh, to not compromise? But they're also living in a society and they have jobs. Uh, how, how do they, you know, your friends who live in the world, how do they just go about living life uh, knowing that they are just potential martyrs because of that? You know, they're, they're probably not looking for extra fuel to put on that fire, but they do hold to convictions. Like, you know, if you could just share maybe like a general idea of, you know, the, your friends that you experience. Sure, sure. I would say creativity, excellence, and wisdom. Hmm. Those three, I think, would be the top pillars that I see across the board. 
because these ones who are leading and these ones who are following Christ in these nations, many of them are so excellent at what they do, the community and nation benefit from who they are. Mm. So there's great what we would call favor upon them. They would, you know, they found favor in Pharaoh's sight. Um, and they're, you know, what, what happened with Daniel, right? One, uh, 120, he was 10 times better than any magician, sorcerer, or magistrate in the land, right? And so for me, as uh, Galatians 6, 9, don't grow weary in doing good, you know, but in due time, you'll reap the harvest. Do good to those who are especially of the household of faith, mm-hmm. right? Doing good and, you know, the community benefiting, Right. And there's times when I was there and there was one um, official that came to my meeting and some leaders come in disparaging the nation and coming against government, all this stuff. But I just said, you know, this is what I I believe. God loves this nation. God loves, uh, you know, every person in this nation. And he wants the best for all of you. Right. And we started talking about some practical ways to serve the community, even as a faith community, because people know their faith community, but they began doing so much good. They found favor in the, you know, at a provincial level uh, within the government. And so they've been heralded actually as heroes in some of these places. Yeah. In, in the reformed tradition, we, we'd call that like common grace. Uh, and the thing that just got yes, right. you know, in his providence or through his church, just the good that he that's right all people the fact that he makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust yeah, that's right and, and the things that the church the people of god do to represent the light to the world yeah absolutely let me give uh one quick question before we wrap up and that is uh can you give us any updates at all about what's happening in the church in afghanistan you know it's been a couple of weeks since i've heard i've had friends actually go in there and come out they said you know there's some reports out there saying that the entire underground church in afghanistan is dead has been martyred. Um, that is a false report. And at the same time, the underground churches, there are being, they are being martyred. They are being persecuted. Uh, but again, the underground church, there's one specific small underground church that went from 600 to close to 10,000 now, wow. you know, and this isn't just believers coming together. These are ones getting saved in the mm. process. These are new family members being baptized, you know, into the kingdom. And so there's some beautiful things that are happening at the same time, you know, just some atrocious things uh, that are happening as well. Yeah. There's something to be said that when you suffer well, it's attractional. You know, we have all this, uh, how do we get an attractional church donuts and coffee in a nice facility actually suffering well is attractional. People go, hey, wait a minute, that's wrong. And that person was killed, that person's suffering. And I know that they're actually a good person. I want to know more about why they're doing what they're doing and why they'd be willing to suffer like that. So let's, let's ask this final question. And I'll say maybe final question, but there might be some piggyback ones off of it. But what can we do here in the West? You've helped us understand what we need to know a little bit about the church over around the world. But what can we do here in the West to care for and be a support to our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world? Yeah, you know, I don't want to sound like a cliche, but if you ask them what you can do, their number one answer is, please pray for us. Mm-hmm. That's throughout all the nations that I've been to. Every time I say, how can we serve you? How can we support you? And they just say, just 
please keep us in your prayers constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so don't underestimate your prayer for these nations. Uh, you don't know the impact you're making, you know, and a lot of us, we won't know the impact until we get to the other side of eternity, mm-hmm. but just keep them in prayer. And then secondly, practically speaking, I would say find an organization, ministry, or church that is working directly with the people groups that are being persecuted or the underground church and partner with them, support them, do your due diligence and doing your research to make sure, you know, what percentage is actually being directed towards them versus everything else. But find an organization to partner with, because you may not always go, but you know what? You could send somebody or you could send resources to support them through your contribution. And so I would say those are probably two just specific practical things that we can do to uh, support and reach them. Excellent. Excellent. I, I remember one time I was in, in uh, amongst some pastors and church leaders in, in Palestine again. And, and I said, what is it that you would want me to go back and tell the American church? And, he, mm-hmm. and one of the pastors said, just tell them we exist. Mm-hmm. Tell them we're here. Yes. And uh, what an important step that is as well. So, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, you know, Tony, we first introduced you as Rob's special friend, and that's because I I don't like the Red Sox. I don't like the Patriots. Uh, I think they're evil. But you know what? After spending 41 minutes with you, I would gladly be your special friend, because even aside from those things, you're a good guy. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, Vinny. And, you know, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. And I really believe that the Lord sent me and Rob to you (laughs) to convert you into truth. And so. (laughs) Well played, well played, sir. (laughs) Awesome. Hey, we will link uh, to some of the various organizations that Tony is involved with in our show notes. So you could definitely check those sorts of things out. And uh, like I said, the, the biggest request that he makes is uh, pray for the church around the world, pray for your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, while, while we associate with a local church, uh, our local churches are part of a universal church and we cannot forget that. And uh, I just, I, personally, I appreciate you being a conduit for them and speaking for them, you know, to us in the West or whoever might hear this podcast, but it's, it's so helpful just to put real stories to that, even though we're not seeing faces like that, that, that's an important thing to happen. So we just so appreciate your time and you sharing your experiences with us. Thank you so much. And I just want to just say one and with this comment here, you know, what if we can become that generation where generation after generation ask God to answer their prayer, but what if we can answer Jesus's prayer where he said, father, make them one as you and I are one. Yep. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you again, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that was an amazing interview that we just had with Tony. I I, honestly, on my end, this is a guy who I've never met before. I know you had a previous relationship, but it's one of those things where, I mean, we, we were on the zoom call, maybe five, 10 minutes before we started recording. And within like two minutes of the actual interview, it's like, I feel like I know this guy already Mm. (laughs) just from a relational standpoint, some good stuff happening there. What are some of your thoughts? What are you taking away? How are you processing that conversation we just had? Well, I mean, one of the things I was hoping would happen from this would be that we could convey to our audience a little bit of a picture of the global church. First off, that there is a global church and that we are members of that global church. And then give a picture of what the global church is like. And I think Tony did that really, really well and just helped us go, okay, wait a minute, there's there's something out there and, and the church is out there. 
and this is what they're going through. And then I think, I hope that uh, our listeners, and maybe you and I can do this on some future podcasts as well, is begin to say, okay, now let's process all that because I think the next question is, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I remember a number of years ago, we had a, an event at a church I was at and we learned about the church in Africa. And there's a, a week-long a week long event and especially over the weekend. And, and I think at the end of the week, weekend, your, your first thought was, I need to go run to Africa and, and mm-hmm. help. And, but I remember realizing, you know, that's not what God's gifted me to do. And I don't think he's actually necessarily calling everyone who's listening. Hey, okay, you need to go run in the global church and figure out how to help. And, but I think we need to say, okay, where am I at in my place and the gifts and talents and get and blessings, if we want to use that word, that God's given to me so, so that I can be a means of help and support for the global church. Yeah, it, it's interesting because that event, I know exactly what event you're talking about because mm-hmm. I, I was there for that. And I felt the same thing. My wife and I walked through that. It was literally like this immersive event yeah. and you walk through it and then you, uh, you're you educated. You're, you, you've had this revelation of something that has been unveiled and now you have this, it's like a good passion, but then there's a guilt and a shame. Yeah. And in, in my mind, like, especially as the American, our job is to then save everyone right so it's like okay well what what's my job how am i going to fix this problem right uh, and so even just what what's an appropriate way to be exposed to something and then find my spot in that story and recognizing like like i don't need to go in a you know hero mode here it's not right. about that but i am called to something yeah yeah and what i liked also is you know is the the, the church is called to pray hey, pray for us we feel your prayers that's the number one thing because I think it's easy for some who are listening to go, okay, well, let me throw some money at it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I can be involved. I have money. God's blessed me with that. That's what I'll, I'll use that. Okay, great. That's fine. But then I'm done. I, I dismiss it. Once I throw money at it or I set up a recurring payment so every month money goes out to whatever organization or ministry it might be, I'm done. And it's like, no, prayer is a daily responsibility to, to care for uh, the church around the world and, and things of that nature. And I'll share in a future episode, some of the message I've been getting even the last week from the mm-hmm. pastors in, in India uh, mm-hmm. about their suffering and losing churches and persecution and stuff also. So we'll, we'll follow up with that as well. Great episode. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing Tony on, Rob. Appreciate that. Yeah, that was no a lot problem. of fun. Hopefully our uh, listeners find it uh, enjoyable and edifying. And um, like I said, don't, don't sit in shame, <laughs> right. but you know, you're not, your job isn't to fix it, but then what are you called to do? So we definitely, this is a lot of application, uh, I think in this episode, uh, for, for how we could challenge ourselves. So great. Hey, hope everyone has a great week. Come back next week as we have our next, uh, interview and, uh, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.